evening, everyone. It's Monday for another few hours of Monday of the Woods, and Monday sucked. Monday what? Monday sucked big donkey dick. That's what my Monday did. But we're not going to talk about that because we're going to do that another day. As I'll worry about that another day, as Scarlett would say. Tonight's episode, Short and Junk, is um, going to talk about a question <laughs> that Jilly asked. Um, I'm pretty sure she asked this more for you guys than she did for herself. So uh, thank Jilly for taking the time to think of this question on your behalf. Um, Jilly asked, have you ever been in the middle of a story and decided to replot? This has This had happened to me for two reasons. I just didn't like where the story was going, and two, I'd written the character in such a way that keeping them in character no longer lined up with the plot. So how do you go about stepping back, taking a critical view, and replotting from where you are? Now, there are actually two answers to this question, and maybe three. There are three answers to this question. One, if you're not under deadline and you're not in a challenge situation, you stop. You reevaluate. You look at your whole plot. You take it apart down to its base. You take it and you separate it. Literally, physically, you take it apart. That's why I think it's important to, um, for my process to write my plot. If you're doing it um, like in OneNote or something, I would suggest printing it out so that you can cut up your plot structure and look at your scenes and, and, and figure out where you're fucking up. If you are a pantser, this process doesn't apply to you at all, and you don't replot because you don't plot to begin with. <laughs> so it doesn't really, you know, <laughs> doesn't really apply. Anyways, um, I cut my plot up, and I rearrange my scenes, and I try to figure out where I'm going and, and, and what's wrong. That's my first solution. And then I replot. Um, if my story isn't working and I'm under a deadline, I push through. Because when you write for money, you don't have a choice. And a lot of times you'll have maybe six months to finish a project. So you push through and then in your second draft, you fix your mistakes. Because obviously you've made a mistake. If you're a plotter and you've done your plot and you've done your character work, already... It's it's already there. Something happened in your writing process that is the problem. So you can fix this in your second draft um, or perhaps your third draft if your mistakes are big. But you can't fix what you haven't written. And when you're under deadline and you've got money on the table or will have money on the table once you deliver this project, you don't have the luxury of stopping and replotting. And replotting is a luxury. It is definitely a luxury when you're um, writing for profit. Uh, so um, you push through. Or if you're in challenge, it's like we're moving into NaNo, which starts November 1st. Um, and we're going to do a radio show about NaNo this week as well, um, but it won't be tonight. <laughs> and um, you, if you're in challenge, and especially when you're under a word count challenge, like in National Novel Writing Month, and you got about 50K and in 30 days, you push through. You just push, 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 push. And you don't, um, if you have to change 
if you have to change like midstream, you do it. Like say you're say you you've written the first five chapters of your book, and they're not really working for for you for, um, for your character or for your plot. You just switch. You just change directions on chapter six and move on. You keep telling your story, and then after everything's said and done, when you've got your thirty days, you can go back and rewrite um, what is happening. You can rewrite your first five chapters to match what you wrote, change directions. Um, there is a problem with blog talk and um, delay. And yesterday I had a hard time even getting the site to come up so we didn't get an episode. Uh, so if you're very, very, very far behind, um, that is why. Um, I think they're still doing some changes with the hi-fi option. Um, and so we'll just have to work through it until it goes and see how that works. Um, the the really terrible part is is I'm not even sure um, I'd be able – you guys won't know if I, like, cut off. Maybe the people on the phone will. You can listen on the phone if you get free long distance. Um, that number is area code 646-668-2857. And there are, people, there are plenty of people who call in and listen that way because their Internet – doesn't cooperate or, you know, it's bullshit, you know, just whatever. Anyways, so your third option, and this is the one that hurts, you stop writing on that piece of crap that's making you unhappy. You move it into a folder called Crap That Makes Me Unhappy. Your original idea and start completely over. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it, to think about? But I believe that there are some instances, even if you're 30 or 40K into a project, if it's not working and it's frustrating you and you get frustrated and then you don't write because you're frustrated, then you're you're essentially doing it anyway. You're just not acknowledging what you're doing. So if you're not under deadline and you're not in challenge and replotting is is baffling, and in some cases, I mean, that happens. I mean, I've been working and plotting. I've been writing for uh, 26 years. I've been writing for 26 years. <laughs> so, and even, yes, there are times. I do have a folder called Crap That Makes Me Unhappy. And it's got stuff in it. It's got plenty of stuff in it. Because either I had this idea and it didn't work the way I wanted to and the plot fell apart and my characters weren't moving right in my in my scenes and, and the plot was... Um, and so, you know, when writing is your passion, um, when it's what settles you and makes you happy and, and calms you down. The last thing you want for it to do is to be a frustrating um, experience. So if you – I do have projects that I could not replot, that I could not wrap my head around, and because I didn't have any financial obligations to complete them and make it work later, I put them in that folder called Crap That Makes Me Unhappy. Because 
you have to make a healthy choice for yourself as a creative person. And some things and some ideas just don't work. And when they don't work, and you sit there and you stare at it for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you get online and bitch about being blocked. You're not blocked. You're drowning in your bad idea, and you're afraid to let go of it. You're unwilling to let go of what is essentially a bad idea. And all that crap in my folder that makes me unhappy, every bit of it sucked. The ideas sucked, or maybe the execution sucked, because in some cases I took that idea and started over, and it worked beautifully. A really good example of that would be uh, The Awakening. I have four different starts for the awakening, one of which is 30,000 words, and they're all three in that folder called Crap That Makes Me Unhappy. And they were all three essentially the same idea that the awakening was. And um, they started in different ways, and and one of them, Blair, came to Jim, and another one um, they met uh, through genetic testing, and, and another one, you know, it, it, you know, Jim came online, and, and you know, it's just I had all of these different starts for the awakening, and um, they're all in that folder called "crap that makes me unhappy" because they made me deeply unhappy. Uh, and then I started over on my fourth try the idea worked and it clicked and everything moved and the characters moved through my plot and everything worked just the way I wanted it to and the scenes fell together and and everything clicked. But when it's not clicking and you refuse to acknowledge that, all you're doing is suffocating yourself. You're suffocating the creative part of you um, because you're stubborn. Just, I'm not telling you to delete it, I don't really delete anything that I write. I I cut and paste into a different document and save it for later. Um, and there's about, I don't know, 15 or 20 documents in my fandom version of Crap That Makes Me Unhappy. Um, there's over 40 projects in my professional folder for Crap That Makes Me Unhappy because um, you have to know when to let go. And when to double down. And when to fold them. (laughs) You really, you have to know when to let go. So if you have, if if your story's not working and you have to um, figure out what you're going to do, um, your first option is to stop and replot. Take the whole thing apart, figure out where you went wrong. Your second option is to push through complete the project, and figure out where you went wrong in draft two or, if needed be, in draft three. You'll get there. You'll figure it out. It may not ever be a favorite project. I've got one like that where I had to um, fix it in my second draft. And it is not something that if – sometimes if I'm not in the mood to write and I'm trying to get something in the mood to write, I will reread some of my things – the one project that I pushed through um, that really sticks out in my head that I didn't like the solution, I, I didn't like my execution, but I had no choice but to write it um, and finish it off. I have never reread that work after publication. I don't go back to it. So 
back again to the options, um, there's replotting. There, um, there's stop and replotting. There's push through and replotting. And then there is setting it aside, putting it away, acknowledging that it's not working, and moving on. Now, for those of you who are in fandom and you publish your works in progress, that's a very daunting prospect because you're going to have to tell your readers that you are, and this is a dreaded word in fandom, you are abandoning the material. I tend to publish my work in finished novellas for that very reason. Um, yes, there are loose plot ends, um, but I don't end in cliffhangers because I feel like that's really inappropriate to do to a reader, especially in novella form. Um, I, the only way I would end in a cliffhanger is if I already had the next part written and ready to go because shit happens, and I would hate to leave a story on a cliffhanger with no resolution, and they'll be like, man, fuck you, what, do you, what, what, really, that, that that's what you went with? Fuck you, lady, fuck you. So, you know. Well, yes, you could print your plot document out and take it outside and set it on fire and make ritual sacrifice, make shamors. Um, that makes you happy. I don't recommend it. I, I think that um, the willful destruction of your own ideas can be, um, uh, it can be disheartening, which is why I don't delete anything. I, I don't actually delete my work for that very reason, because um, I find value in all of my words, and it's important to um, value your product and to value what you do. And um, just for the sake of... Uh, acknowledging your craft and the uh the effort and the work you put into your craft. Uh so but you can set fire to all the peeps. Every peep on the planet could be set on fire because they suck. They're terrible. Peeps are the devil. Peep is a candy-coated marshmallow thing that I actually had a friend who left a package of Peeps uncovered and out for an entire year, and they didn't get stale. They never got stale. They remained soft little marshmallow things with Peeps are disgusting. Kill it with fire. Kill them all with fire. Anyways, don't kill your work with fire. I I really legitimately I'm I'm being totally serious here on, on that particular issue. Um don't destroy your own work. Don't delete your own work and you know, don't rage quit yourself. <laughs> it because what you're doing is you're attacking a part of you. Um, you're attacking, and while we're on that subject, please stop telling people you're not good. Please stop telling people you suck. 
disheartening thing I see on AO3 is in the author notes, I suck at this. I suck at that. I suck at summaries. I suck at dialogue. I suck at action, but I wrote this anyway. I suck, I suck, I suck. They are preempting trolls. They are setting themselves up so they won't be disappointed when they get ugliness. Don't do that to yourself. Don't make the first cut. Because God knows it's the deepest. I mean, it is so deep. It is, you know, if you're cutting yourself to pieces, nobody else is, and you think nobody else will bother, um, bother you are mistaken. Don't tell yourself and other people that you suck. Take pride in what you've accomplished. Because you grow and you learn and you change with each word you write. And none of those words you write should be, I suck. Stop saying that. Time, um, and some people still think it, and they're entitled to think I'm a crappy writer. When I didn't write as well as I do today, and I learn and I grow with each project. And I'm a better writer today than I was a year ago. I believe that. I believe that I'm a better writer tomorrow than I am today. And that every moment um, that I live and breathe and work and write and, and observe and read and learn, I become a better writer. And, you know, there's just some things in your craft that you you only learn through experience and through failure and... Yeah, you can say you suck cock. That's perfectly okay. Yeah. You can admit to that. That's perfectly fine. But I, if I could tell any young writer um, one thing, it would be that um, the writer you're born to be is already there, already inside you. And you need to let it out. You need to let that writer explore the world. You need to let that writer make mistakes and and grow and change and try things and, and win and lose and, and fall and fly. Because um, if you don't nurture that creative spirit you were born with, you're wasting something super, super, super important. And if you degrade that writing spirit you were born with, um, it is self-harm. You you are doing yourself damage. You are hurting no one but yourself. Anyways, <clears throat> so those are your options when the story doesn't work. You can stop plot and start over, you can push through, correct the mess in second and third draft, or you can completely set it aside, put it in a folder, and move on. 
I think sometimes a fresh start on an idea is actually super beneficial. So that third option, while painful, even if you're 50, 60, even 100K into a project, if it's not working, it's not working. And in some cases, setting aside, giving yourself that freedom, and that is a freedom to set it aside, put it away, out of sight, just put it in a folder, whatever you want to call it, um, don't call it dead. Um, someone was calling it their dead file or their dead story. No, no, don't call it dead. Call it the rest home. Call it um, um, your your riding retirement village. Uh, <laughs> don't call it a cemetery <laughs> where your ideas go to die. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> very negative. It's very negative. Send them on vacation. Label it Hawaii. Label your folder Hawaii or um, the Virgin Islands or, I don't know, just vacation. <laughs> just label it something um, that doesn't look like you've got a folder of death on your computer. I'm, I'm being for real. Um, but anyways, um, I think that there's a liberty and starting over completely and moving on. And if that idea comes back to you again, yes, the U.S. Virgin Islands, that actually exists. But if you write sex, you're, you can't call your folder the Virgin Islands. <laughs> you just can't. Anyways, um... Some of my fixer versions, some of them are not. I don't actually call my folder um, the Virgin Islands. I call my folders crap that makes me unhappy because it does make me unhappy. I might relabel them all Mount Doom, but that's negative, so maybe not. The Shire, the Lonely Mountain. Maybe I'll call them the Lonely Mountain. Anyways, um, there's Liberty. In, in, in letting go of an idea and, and moving on and coming back to it. Because if you allow yourself to 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 fixate on this, this story that's not working, you're only going to end up being frustrated and um, and it can really kind of destroy your productivity for weeks or even months. <laughs> Julie's going to call hers. Tony's never getting laid. <laughs> That's kind of negative. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Tony gets laid. Yeah. <laughs> so, but just um, sometimes you have to make a hard cut. You have to make a decision that, while painful, will be better for you in the long run. And this is not. Um, like, I'm not suggesting you do this every time you get frustrated with a project because that isn't quite the same thing as having a project that isn't working. If the show isn't, I mean, if the story isn't working, it's a different kettle of fish than saying the scene's not working or I hate the way my character's moving or I don't like the way this conversation is going. That isn't the same thing as having a catastrophic plot failure or a character failure where 
it just it, it it's not coming together. It it's not cementing in a way that works for you. So if it does that, if it falls apart, by all means, either rework it, push through, and then rewrite, or let it go. Put it aside. Don't delete it. Put it aside because you might be able to recycle material out of it into other projects later. Or you might come back to it six months from now and be able to replot when when you're got when you have some distance from the project. Ancestor asks, says, I know it's off topic, but would you do a character profile for an AI with no personality? I did, in fact, do a um, um, character profile for Theseus in Lantian Legacy, but your um, your question's kind of weird because the uh, an artificial intelligence would have a personality. Um, I would not, for instance, do a character profile on the computer that runs Enterprise, the Enterprise on Star Trek. But I would do a character profile on um, the AI that runs Andromeda because she is, in fact, she has a personality. You know, that's what artificial intelligence is. It's um, it's sentience. It's, it's a sentient computer, um, and once you have sentience, personality um, comes into play. Um, because in, in order to be um, sentient, y you have to meet a certain criteria. In SOA, in Sentinels of Atlantis, um, no. She does not have a profile. Um, there are two profiles for Atlantis in Atlantean Legacy. Um for Theseus and for Allie. I did full back histories for, um, for both of them. Um, I uh, did character profiles for their children as well, the ships. And they're AIs, and um, they, have, you know, they're, they have a history um, together and separately, both in war and, um, you know, while they slept, while their mother and while their parents were... In uh, in hibernation, um, so you know, like Moya uh, on Farscape never has a single bit of dialogue. Yet she is a fully formed character. Now Moya is living; she's a living ship, and Pilot, the conduit by which the other characters and you as the viewer know Moya. Uh, so she. She has this overwhelming presence in Farscape, and yet she has no dialogue. You know very little about her. Um, she sacrifices her child. They treat her so rough. It's, that's one part of Farscape that always made me deeply uncomfortable, and I think I bring it up in Lantean Legacy. It makes me deeply uncomfortable how they treated Moya. But when you're dealing with an artificial intelligence, um, you have to treat them like a person because they are, in fact, 
a person. That's what artificial intelligence means. Um, you can have a computer that's semi-sentient. Like, for instance, depending on... Jarvis is technically semi-sentient in Avengers, uh, Iron Man, the computer. And <clears throat> you... But he has... He has a personality that Tony has programmed him to have. Whereas vision is artificial intelligence. And yet, Jarvis appears to have, just based on the two movies that I've seen, a more vivid personality than vision. We'll see how that goes in the next Avengers movie. Um, so, I think really, from a character perspective, a really interesting character would be Hal in 2001. If you've never watched 2001, I highly recommend it. I don't so much recommend 2010, but it does answer some questions. I highly recommend 2001. Um, it is a um, an epic piece of storytelling, and you get... Um, and Hal is a computer program, a sentient computer who um, plays. He's <laughs> he'll make you want to turn your computer off. <laughs> Just turn off all your shit. We're not in there to watch it. <laughs> He's a fucking psycho. He is. He is a fucking psycho. Hal is a computer, and Hal is a psycho. Um, I I highly recommend it. Another artificial intelligence that's really interesting to, to pay attention to is I would um, I highly recommend you watch Alien. Not I, you can watch both, but I the 1979 or 78 I forget which year the original Alien has an um, um, has a sentient ro- um, robot in it, and so does Part Two, which is called Aliens. Um, so I. I highly recommend you watch those as well, Alien and Aliens. Um, they are excellent um, variations on a theme of, of monsters and um, humanity and um, artificial intelligence, and, and just I highly recommend it. I don't recommend AI. Oh, Stephen, how wrong you were. But I highly recommend Alien. Um, it's an excellent story, excellent movie, and um, you just uh, you you learn something there, affected about humanity and about uh, and honestly, I think in part two, the robot turns out to be the most human of all of them. That'd be interesting. So definitely watch 2001, watch Alien, watch Aliens, um, and you'll see how artificial intelligence is treated in each of these um, situations. And then, of course, you can't dismiss Terminator as well, although you don't see Skynet for what it is. You see the outcome of Skynet's actions. Um, and that's an artificial intelligence as well. And I don't know, 
I think you have to when you have an AI acting. Oh yeah, the Matrix, of course. Um, skip the third one if you have if you haven't. You know, uh, I think that if you if you look at um, a situation like. Uh, Terminator, where Skynet's actions have impact, and Skynet has goals, and Skynet is um, self-aware, and Skynet maneuvers and makes decisions to ensure its own survival, which is the hallmark of sentience. You can't project like that without knowing Skynet as well as you know Reese and Sarah and the Terminator itself. I think V'ger from Star Trek Motion Picture um, doesn't get a lot of screen time. Um, if I was going to uh, do character profiles in Star Wars, I would definitely have done one for R2-D2. Uh, because R2-D2's actions have impact. His, he is, he is a, um, he is a, a flag waver, so to speak, for the plot. R2-D2 had so much, um, impact on the direction of the movie, and, um, the the movement of the plot and of the characters and you know uh and then of course C three PO if you think about his actions, he didn't want to abandon R two D two. So he was the reason that R two D two was a was eventually bought by Luke Skywalker's uncle because he recommended him when the other one fell apart. Otherwise, they would have been separated. Uh, these um, these two robots, who I'm not sure if they're like genuine AIs or just what you would call a robot. Although C3PO is very invested in his own survival, so that is something to be considered. Because being invested in your own survival is um, one of the hallmarks of sentience. So you, uh, I think that if you're going to work with an AI character or a robotic character, that you give that character attention because they impact your plot. So if they don't impact your plot and they're just the device that gives you food or they're just the device that tells you that the ship is... Shields are failing. Shields at 40%. She doesn't need a profile. Whereas Data um, is a fully sentient um, individual in Star Trek uh, with a history, with parents, with um, a, two brothers or three, two or three brothers, uh, and each time you learn more about Data, he becomes more and more and more of a person. So I believe that if you're going to um, have a an artificial intelligence or creature or being in your your work, 
if they move your plot, you know, they impact your characters, you need to know who and what they are. So I hope that... So, anyways, um, I'm going to go because I have a little bit of a headache. I want you guys to have a great week, and I will see you tomorrow. And tomorrow, I don't know what we'll be discussing, but it's sure to be interesting. You guys have a great evening.